Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. We are in for a treat today. With me is my friend and self-awareness guru, Tasha Yurik, organizational psychologist, researcher, best-selling author, and executive coach. She uses science to help people achieve dramatic, measurable change. As listeners know, the core of being able to say it skillfully is being in good relationship with ourselves and being self-aware. I'm honored you're here with me today, Tasha. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Molly. So I'm a huge fan of you and your work, as you know. Um, Before we get into it, I am curious, because we haven't talked about this, how you got into this whole field to begin with. Would you mind sharing that, please? I was really lucky to find organizational psychology when I was pretty young, all things considered. I went to a a small school on the East Coast for college, and I I was a psychology major, and I thought the only option was to be a counselor, (laughs) Um, and there were not a lot of, you know, different types of psychology there. So I I found out about this amazing discipline called organizational psychology about my junior year. And it was perfect because I was a third generation entrepreneur. I grew up, you know, literally following my mom around the office that she founded and seeing how leaders can really create prosperity and success and well-being, not just for them, but for the people that work with them. Um, And so I was just so excited about that, that I had to move to New York the summer of 2001 to take uh, my first course in the field. And I remember within the first five minutes of the summer school course that was taught by this, you know, Italian TA who didn't want to be there. (laughs) She was lovely and smart, but, you know, it was just such an interesting environment. And um, I loved it from the the very first moment. So from there, it was actually pretty easy. I I applied to uh, graduate school and got into a bunch of places and was able to go back home to my uh, home state of Colorado and get my PhD in industrial organizational psychology. Wow. You're such an early bloomer and pioneer. Did you have a lot of mentors? You know, it seems you're very pioneering. I mean, I get that it's in the the DNA with your your mom and all. Um, Particular folks along the way that shaped, um, shaped you or encouraged you? I'm curious about that. Oh, too many to count. I think anybody who um, is able to achieve their dreams and see any amount of success is usually there because of the people that helped them and, and extended a hand. I'm reminded of, um, you know, my my psychology advisor in in college. Um, her name was Susan Campbell. She really saw something in me, and I think she just saw the passion I had for our field, and she was able to help me navigate that whole process of applying to grad school and knowing what I wanted to do, and, you know, flash forward all the way till now, where we have a, a mutual mentor that I think has changed both of our lives, Marshall Goldsmith, um, but but I it, we would be here forever, I think, if, if um, I listed all the folks that had supported me along the way, and just really, really grateful for that, and, and that's why you and I want to pay it forward so much. Yeah, that's great. And I pre- hope listeners appreciate that. It really takes, it takes a village for sure. Um, I am a huge fan of the work. And as I mentioned, um, maybe you could spend some time for listeners just helping unpack self-awareness. I know there's a couple dimensions. Some folks aren't aware of that, but I think that'd be really helpful for people to have as a context. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I think before the global pandemic that we're currently facing, self-awareness was arguably the most important foundational skill for us to be successful and happy, um, both both at work and and in life in general. But my belief is... it is more important than it has ever been before to see ourselves clearly and compassionately. And so there's a, there's a lot of nuance to this, as you said, but in general, what my research team and I have found is that self-awareness, right? So when we know ourselves, we generally know two types of things about ourselves that, you know, that help us say, I, I'm improving my self-awareness. So one is something our research team named internal self-awareness. And what that is, is understanding who we are from the inside out, 
what makes us tick? What do we value? What are our aspirations? What are our patterns of behavior across similar situations and across time? But at the same time, there's another type of self-awareness all of us have to build um, that we named external self-awareness. And that is self-awareness from the outside in and specifically knowing how other people see us. And it's really powerful because what we found over and over again is those two types of self-awareness are not always the same. Uh, There's a great F. Scott Fitzgerald quote that says something to the effect of uh, the definition of true intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in our mind at the same time and retain the ability to function. (laughs) And the same (laughs) is true for our self-awareness journey. You know, just because I see myself a certain way doesn't mean that someone else will see me in that exact same fashion. And so part of what makes this journey is so exciting is, is if we can commit to learning both Um, again, it gives us such a rich and and multifaceted understanding of who we are. Yeah, that was a real aha for me. I will share a quick story on the external piece. And I, you know, earlier in career, I, at some point, um, someone, and it was kind to share this, that I didn't, I was looking at different jobs and they said, oh, you don't seem committed. And this person had kind of taken me through a bunch of different options. And I'm thinking, not committed? I mean, is there a, I was just like, me? Not committed? And as I, I reflected, so I had to let go of that kind of initial shock and somewhat of an outrage, like how could someone come up with that? And realize that in the conversation, I had expressed interest in a lot of different roles because I, I am, I could see that. And for that person, that came across as, you know, I wasn't, there wasn't one passion, you know, that I had. And I got to tell you, that was like a huge slap. I was like, wow, like people aren't just making stuff up about me. I telegraphed something and that's what they responded to. Um, And so that was a real big learning. Do do you find that folks have more, it's easier or harder to develop on on either the internal or the external, Tasha? We found that those two types of self-knowledge are completely independent. And what that means, you know, in a a more practical sense, is we all have to work to develop both. But we've also found that certain people tend to prefer one over the other. You know, so you think about sort of people who are high in both are very self-aware, people who are low on both. I call them seekers. They're just starting their journey of this very, very learnable skill. But then there are people who are high on one and low on the other, and it gets really interesting. So imagine someone with high internal self-awareness. They know who they are, what makes them tick. Um, You know, mindfulness might be a hobby, therapy, but they have not yet built an understanding of how other people see them. And that means they can get blindsided by feedback from others. It means, you know, surprising things could happen. Hey, I thought I was going to get that promotion and I didn't and I have no idea why. So those are um, what I call introspectors. And the beauty for introspectors is they're part of the way there. It's just a matter of focusing on both, you know, external and internal. But then if you flip it around, someone who's high in external self-awareness and low on internal self-awareness is probably going to be so focused on appearing a certain way to others or meeting others' expectations of them that they haven't gone through the process or, or they're not listening to what they um, w- what would be in their best interest. So their journey, these uh, people that I call pleasers, the journey for a pleaser is um, you know maintaining that focus on, on caring about um, how you're coming across to others, but at the same time deepening your focus on what's right for me, what's important to me, what matters to me. So each of us have a different journey, but we're all trying to get to the same place. Yeah, I hear folks... Um you know, compassionately complain about bosses not being self-aware. <laughs> I'm sure you've never heard this before, Asha. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, I think sometimes people feel like it's futile. This person will never become self-aware. What's your response to that? Well, I, I first would normalize that experience. We found that uh, 99% of people report uh, working with at least one unself-aware person, and that, that person very frequently is, in fact, their boss. 
So, you know, the question becomes, what do I do about this and, and how do I deal with this? And we've also discovered that there are different types of unaware people. Um, there's everyone from what I call the lost cause, which is kind of like, no matter what you do, this person is never going to even acknowledge that they could be anything besides perfect. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have what I call um, the nudgeable people, um, people who want to do the right thing, who, you know, definitely don't want to have a negative impact on the people around them, but maybe just need some education uh, about how they can be more effective. All that said, all that being said, I think we all have to be very careful about trying to uh, expedite other people's self-awareness journey, especially if they're our boss. And so the first thing I recommend to anyone who's in that position is often focusing on what you can control, which is, is your reaction to these people first and foremost. doesn't mean that the opportunity might not present itself. And again, if you say it skillfully, you might be able to get there. Um, but I think, you know, we see all these unaware people walking around just like regular people. And part of the journey is learning how we can manage our own reactions. Yeah, I call that the being in good relationship with ourself, um, and that is the part that we can control. Uh, would you share, I imagine that you've had epiphanies along the way of yourself on the internal and external. Um, any of those that you can share with us? I think it'd be great for folks to appreciate that the expert here has <laughs> herself come a long way, too. Oh, gosh. Well, when I first started, my, my research team and I started a, a large-scale uh, research program on self-awareness about seven years ago. And when I first started, I thought, oh, I'm a psychologist, I'm an author, I, I coach CEOs. Who could be better to tell everyone how to be more self-aware than yours truly? <laughs> and as I started to uh, you know, conduct our research and apply it to my own life, for example, we've found that 95% of people believe themselves to be self-aware, but only about 10 to 15% of us really are, I started to wonder, you know, hmm, on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves, and that's a pretty big number. I wonder if I fit in that category. <laughs> and and uh, as I began to be open to it, I started getting lots and lots of data. Um, the first piece of data that I was able to collect was from a more internal standpoint, where, you know, sort of oddly, I was, I was devoting my life to helping other people be more self-aware, but I didn't really focus very much on my internal self-awareness. I, I felt it sort of like tedious or, you know, oh, I don't, I don't want to think about myself. That feels, uh, you know, it feels weird or it feels like something I, I haven't learned to do. And so that was hugely important because the first person I could test all these tools on to improve self-awareness internally was myself um, and obviously, you know, other people as well to make sure they worked. But that, that was huge. And then the other piece, you know, that we don't have enough time to talk about all the examples, but... Um, all of the people in my life sort of came out of the woodwork when they heard that I was working on this book with many stories to share <laughs> about how externally maybe I could improve how I was coming across. And so, you know, it's, it's sort of funny to joke about it and it wasn't always fun, but the way I think about that is, you know, it's, it's like a, when you hear the truth about how you come across, it, it's like a short fire walk. You know, it's not always fun. It's kind of stressful. But at the end, um, there are puppies and flowers because you get to decide what you're going to do about it. And you get to have that increased control and empowerment to live your best life and do your best at work and, and at home. Oh, I love that empowering message for folks. Um, and I, I hope people are taking this as a optimistic thing that we all are on a journey ever improving and that hopefully there aren't too many lost causes in our lives and that with I compassion. So. I don't think so yeah. either. I, I People say this to me. I said, really? You think your boss, you know, sits in a room saying, I don't want to hear the truth. I don't. And I, and I think that to your point, if people could just own their part of it first, and then feel like, okay, you know, I'm good. And how can I be of service to this other person? That probably would be a, a nice uh, key to put in the door and unlock some opportunity. Um, okay. As you know, I could talk to, for you to, with you forever about this because it's um, fundamentally really interesting to me. Let's segue because I always like to wrap with um, any conversation or situation, a uh, little say it skillfully challenge that you might have that I could help you with. Oh my gosh, I've been looking forward to this because I really need this answer and some, some advice. How, how can we, slash how can I, 
gracefully decline invitations to Zoom <laughs> from my home quarantine, especially uh, after work when I'm exhausted as an introvert. <laughs> I love this. Can I just, just tell folks on the phone here, like I am an introvert. I derive my energy from within. People are like, no, you're not. I'm like, okay, you can tell me who I am. So <laughs> I just, I'm just with you, honey, because I... I, you know, when I come in from big parties, I just want to lie on the ground and look at the ceiling. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that was enough for me. So I hear you on this. Are these uh, all personal or are they sort of work related? They're, I would consider them, you know, friends and family probably first. God love them. I want to talk to them, but Zoom is just exhausting for me. So maybe mm-hmm. let's focus on that piece of it and hope okay, no one's listening. And hope no one's listening. Well, if they love, they love you regardless. We know that. So I think to your point, this owning it for ourselves is there's no guilt here. And I always encourage folks, be your best friend, not your worst enemy. What is it you really want to do? Which is you know that the right thing for you in serving to yourself, just know that this is really huge, is you have to, you have to do what's right for you, right? So there's no guilt, no pressure. And I say that because sometimes when we come across in the communication, that feeling of guilt or, you know, like obligation or I need to be a martyr, you know, that, that kind of comes through. So let that go. And with your joyous smile, oh, I would so love to be with you. You know what? I need some Tasha time. So I, I can't do it. I can't make it. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Simple, powerful. I love it. Thank you, Molly. Simple, powerful. Yes, that's right. And then I think for some folks, now I have folks who have, you know, that people reach out to them all the time. I said, look, if you, you like to talk to some amount of people that you don't know, set up a particular, maybe it's one, one morning a month, maybe it's one slot, and then you fill those slots, and then they, they keep pushing out. So you don't feel like it's a no forever, but it's also like you just schedule it at a time where you feel like it works for you. And knock everything out at once. That's brilliant. Not every, I, I, someone came up with, I thought that was a genius idea because they wanted to be able to help people. And I know you got a lot of folks who probably ping you too. And you just kind of say, well, this is the, the program. It's in that slot. If you can make it, great. <laughs> if you can't, that's okay. You know, there's another slot the next month. Um, I love chatting with you. I know we're just across town now, so hopefully I'll have a chance to see you when, when we can see people again. Um, but as we wrap here as in our little conversation, is there a particular top takeaway that comes to you? You know, I think, again, just the, the importance of self-awareness and the great opportunity all of us have at this very moment to, you know, we have differing levels of energy and, you know, other things that are pulling our focus, but to kind of think about powering down our operating system a little bit and thinking about who we really are, what we really want. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are really terrible about what's happening in the world, but I think it's a, it could be a renaissance of self-awareness. And so I, I challenge your listeners, just like I challenge myself every day to try to take advantage of that as much as I can. Sage advice. I am cheering for that too. I'm cheering for you and appreciate your taking time, Tasha, and thank you for being part of the solution. Thank you. Take care. Now, before my next caller, two reminders, uh, another way to uh, say it skillfully are videos on my website. So that's sayitskillfully.com. And I do invite you to call in live at 866-472-5790 or internationally collect at country code 1-480-398-3352. I am delighted to welcome from Vermont, Ben. Ben, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Thanks for having me on the show, Molly. Well, thank you for making time. And uh, I'm wondering what situation or tough conversation is on your mind today. So I, I have a, a person that works for me. Um, and she is uh, a, she's not like an employee employee. She's like a or 1099, uh, like a sort of works at will for me. And she she um, has been saying that um, she sent me an email the other day saying that she wants to kind of terminate our agreement where we have a split in the revenue that we that that we that we bring in um, for for cases that she's working on. And she said, look, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. 
you're not referring more work my way. And I'm not really using the shared office space because we're here on quarantine. And so I'm going to terminate our agreement. And the idea is that she would take, uh, there's only one person working with her. She would take her um, and just work with her away from my business. And I need to have a conversation with her to, to talk to her about the fact that like uh, an agreement is an agreement. It's, it's not a unilateral thing where you just get to decide. Uh, it's a conversation. And so I think that having, I, I need help sort of working on that conversation with her. Well, that's a doozy. And I can imagine a lot of folks in this particular time are going through things that they have kind of unexpected. So a couple of questions. How long has the arrangement been going on with this person? It's been going on for a couple of years. Um, and, I, you know, in fairness, I haven't been referring work to her because she's not been, she's not particularly good at keeping the work. So I've been referring it to other people instead, uh, other people that work with me. And so she's right in that I haven't been um, referring work her way, but people speak with their feet, right? And a lot of people are just aren't staying with her because I don't think she's particularly talented. So thanks for that. Now, in those past conversations, had you discuss that sure with her? I have not spoken to her. I have actually not true. I have said to her that she has not been keeping a lot of the folks that I send her way. I've definitely said that to her. Um, I didn't like tell her that I wasn't referring new business to her because she wasn't keeping them, but she knows that she wasn't keeping them. I mean, I don't, whether she knows or she doesn't know, I have told her that she's not been keeping people in her, uh, that she's not working with these people because they're leaving her. Got it. Got it. And then per, what is the term, what are the terms of your contract with her? So we don't, ha- I mean, admittedly, and this is where I may be, you know, it was a, it was an agreement. Um, we don't have a written contract between the two of us. So um, it was the idea that I would be referring work to her. She could use the office space and she's not using the office space. Like that's, all of this is totally fair. It's just the idea that she's just like, oh, well, we're, I'm, I'm not keeping the agreement with you. Like we're done. Got it. Okay. And so Ben, what would you like to have happen? You know, I think that her points are, are fair. What I would like to have happen is that we come to some agreement about some sort of financial agreement about um, the current, she only has one case. So it's not like she's got a lot of cases um, and that, we come into some sort of financial agreement whereby we separate amicably, but that she pays out some sort of fee to me uh, for this ongoing revenue that she's got coming in. Got it. Okay. And in your mind, if you think about, this is your own self-awareness, right? How do you feel about this? Are you annoyed? Are you happy? I mean, what's your own personal state? Well, I mean, of course I was annoyed Um, and you know, my own policy is that when I, when I get, when I, when I have, when I feel negatively about something, I never react right away. So I didn't respond to the email right away because I knew that I would react or uh, it's very likely that some of my emotion would seep into that. So I chose to wait and then we had this call. So I thought, Oh, I'll talk to Molly about it. It's a hard conversation. This is fabulous. I want all listeners to hear that, understanding where we are. And it's always great to kind of exhale and not say or write anything you might regret later. So bravo on that, Ben. So just throw out some ideas. I mean, obviously you, you're, I can tell you're very facile with conversations, but I think um, it's it's always helpful since we're not fully aware of what's going on for the other person to have compassion for the fact that they may not be happy about it, who knows what else is going on for them, um, and exude that kind of energy because I think that also brings out our best selves um, for the other person, you know, which is, will support the conversation. And as listeners know, that's kind of the energy, the meta skill. So re- replying to the email, just acknowledging a thanks so much for being open about this. Um, acknowledging what you're he- hearing in the email. You know, I, I'm, I'm sorry if you're unhappy about this um, and or, or if I haven't been forthright. I'd love to have a conversation with you when it's convenient for you. Give that person you know, a, a sense of that they are part of deciding. 
Um, and I think that then getting into a, a one-on-one conversation would be the way to go. So first, let me land with that. Were you thinking of replying an email at all, Ben, or were you thinking more of conversational? Well, I think that I would just use the email as a way of um, getting us to a, to a uh, you know, either a phone call or I prefer a Zoom call um, because I think that it's easier to uh, feel empathic towards someone if you're actually talking to them or seeing them face to face. Yeah, I think that's right. So the next part is saying, you know, I, I would love to work this through. I think we're having different experiences of the situation and I, you know, warmly welcome a chance to do a Zoom call. And, you know, I think that we can come out of this in a way where we're both, um, we feel honored, right? So it's a way to show that you are positive about the fact that we can work through this. So that's, that already sets the tone, right? So for that mm-hmm. person, they're like, well, wait, so he's not attacking me. He's not refuting me. He's, who knows what she thinks, that how mm-hmm. you were going to respond, but you're totally taking the high road, very zen, relaxed, right? And, and so I think then you get on the phone call and, and the Zoom call, and I'm a big fan of um, asking folks where they're really at. Um, and, and I think extending the olive branch can, again, be helpful. And I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong, but just saying you get just to revisit. I think you're a good person. Um, I think that we've had, you know, some ups and downs, whatever you would, you know, articulate the situation to be, um, mm-hmm. but say, look, at, I, I really want to work this through with you and I really want to hear you. And I apologize in the past if I haven't, and I probably haven't been as forthright right, as I might've been. Mm-hmm. So that's immediately kind of a neutral olive branch kind of thing. Um, and so if you have questions that you want her to clarify, you could ask, um, but you could also lean in and say, one of the things that you said here, and I just want to go through so that we have understanding. So you, you guys can co-create how you want to work through the email, mm-hmm. gauge her emotional state. She may be very Zen. She said, gosh, I appreciate how uh, even keeled you are. Um, if she seems anxious to say, Hey, you know, just, just, just to check in with you, how are you feeling about this? And she said, look at, I, I don't want you to feel anxious. Um, I don't think any, there's no wrong or bad here. I think we just need to work through our different experiences. Are you okay with that? And, and I, you know, you're very, I can tell you're a nurturing person and let that part come through. Um, I think that when you get to working through, you know, the clients and just say, you know, I appreciate you calling that out. And that's actually true. Do you have any idea why it is? I may have, you know, fewer referrals and then let her answer. So, oh, so you, oh, so putting the question to her as to Absolutely. why she's not getting. Okay, I yeah, think it's a good a, idea. That's yeah, super helpful. The whole questioning thing helps her answer, and then if you start to notice defensive or discomfort, say, "Hey, I'm just calling this out. I didn't mean to create any discomfort. Is that what you're feeling?" And so you're more self-aware, Ben. Some a lot of folks aren't quite as aware, so giving them a chance to process and figure out where they are and own that. It's just that and not in a judging or, you know, you're a bad person way, but let people be talk, working it through. Um, and at some point, it may be helpful to just offer, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. A question for you. How do you think I feel? How do you think other folks have felt? Any opportunity where people have to sit back and think, gosh, what do those other people What's their experience? Because generally, you know, with these issues, people are in their own world, right? It's all about me. We're all self-interested. So that potentially has the person realizing that, huh, the world isn't just according to me. And then it's fair to say, you know, my experience of this notice, I just felt, you know, we entered this in a partnership spirit. The way it came across to me, how I landed for me was, wow, wow, you know, just you're making the call. Like, there's no discussion. And so she could just, that's a statement. She can respond, well, that's not what I meant. Or, you know, it's, so I think it's just helping people appreciate that what may be going on isn't what they intended without having to shove it in their face. So let me pause. How's any of that landing? I think that sounds, I think that sounds very good and very helpful. Uh, and I think that she will be, um, open look who wouldn't be right it's it's just it's just an empathic way of having the conversation and hearing the other person um, and respecting the other person so 
um, I think that's uh, that's really helpful. Well, I will look forward to hearing how that goes. So from our little chat, Ben, do you have a top takeaway? Um, you know, look, it's <clears throat> it's good to always to remember that where you stand depends on where you sit. And I think that recognizing that my situation is different from hers and um, bringing that with me into the conversation, I think will be very helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. You know how to reach me. If I can be of more help, let me know. I'd like to hear how it goes. Um, And most of all, I really appreciate your making time and being part of the solution. Thanks so much, Molly. You take care. And with that, I am excited. My friend, Amanta from Toronto is joining me. Amanta, super to have you on the show. Hi, Molly. Thank you for inviting me. I think it's, it's a great show from what I've heard. That's great. It's been fun to, I know they've been listening in the background. So um, listen, we started a conversation and uh, I appreciate your willing to join us um, on the show because I think it has a lot of opportunity for others to learn. Um, so I'll let you just kind of give some context for folks. Sure, sure. Um, I'm an artist, and I'm working on a, an art installation celebrating wise and willful women who are making a difference in the world. And I'm also doing a, um, a research project, which is what inspired the art installation, um, exploring how we see women represented in art and how this relates to some of the problems we're encountering in society today. And... Um, there are two funny things that I keep encountering, and I thought maybe you would be able to spread some uh, insight into this. Um, one is when I tell people this is what I'm doing, often the response, when I say I'm, I'm celebrating wise and willful women, um, people say, well, what about the men? Um, and I, I think, well, yeah, but... It, the women haven't had the attention. Um, what I find in the art, in the art that I've uh, gone through galleries all over the place, and uh, I find that overall women are idealized and um, objectified and then vilified and then victimized and blamed, and rarely are women being celebrated for the wonderful things we're doing. And so that's what spurred this project. So when I told uh, a curator who I adore and respect immensely uh, what I was doing, his immediate response was, well, then we'd have to ban half of art history. And I was taken aback because the last thing I want to do is ban art. I believe that the art is there as a, as a stimulus to, to conversation, to... Uh, to get people thinking and talking and, and sharing ideas and sharing perspectives. And so to think, oh, my God, we've got to ban it. No, 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 no. So I feel like um, because I'm targeting art galleries and I'm going into art galleries and museums and, and uh, talking with curators and getting them to think about new ways of curation and new ways of, of um, art, creating art labels for their work um, and rethinking their collections uh, there is a, an immediate resistance, uh, partly because I'm just an artist. I'm not an official curator. Um, but maybe it's just the whole topic. And I, and I think maybe you would have some insight on how to say it skillfully. So, uh, Thank you, Amanta. I love this. It has much broader um, application than, than art. Um, oh, it does. It, yeah, so I think it's really it's a very universal thread. Um, so I do think being with people where they are in these initial conversations, um, being very present, I totally appreciate the vision that you have, you know, with where this could go and the dialogues that could happen. And I think one of the key things for folks who have those kinds of visions is appreciating that other people are kind of with you at like very first step, you know, they're not, they have no idea. And so just bringing up the topic part of the goal is not maybe the whole vision, but just being with them where they are. And so when you say, you know, this, you know, celebrating wise and willful women, you know, you're positive about it and then pause. They're like, well, what about the men? It's easy to kind of try to answer. And if you can just exhale, and now that you know that everyone says this, it's like, oh, say more. Okay. Yeah. Say more. And so that gives them a chance and puts it out into the, I call it shared reality, right? The universe. So you're both hearing it well. And who knows what comes up for them. Um, at, but that gives you a information. It gives any of us information for where the other person is. 
and then to acknowledge, you could perhaps agree, you could disagree, you could unpack, but it creates the, I would say, relational connection with the person um, mm-hmm. that I think is a very strong foundation for whatever subsequent conversation happens. So I'll pause there. Does that make sense? It does. It actually is something I've tried, um, and, and it does work. I found, um, to this person who said, what about the men, one of the first men who said that, um, I, uh, I said, well, I'm interested in how men are seeing themselves represented in the museum, in re- or in art, in relation to the women. So if, if predominantly men are seeing themselves as being the rapists, in art, they suddenly become conscious of the fact that, oh, or that they are the intended male gaze looking at the woman in the bath or looking at the woman being raped. If they start becoming conscious of that, then they too will be motivated to change. And I think framing it that way sometimes helped. Yeah, that's great. Let's step back. For you, Amanda, with this work, what would you like to have happen, you know, just to say in the art world, what what would be... Um, an action or a shift that you would you know, tangibly like to help ignite? I would like uh, uh, to, to shift people's awareness to um, recognizing that wi- women are valuable, that women are not just baby-making machines or sex objects. And um, I want to do this in a collaborative way rather than an accusatory way. I'm not going around protesting the art, um, which I know many, many have done. Um, I want people to come to the agreement, male and female and other sexes, to recognize that women matter. And uh, that, yeah, just a a shift. Just like, it's like the Black Lives Matter movement. When people mess it up and say all lives matter, they're missing the point. The, 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 The fact is that Black people haven't been mattering for so long, and that's why that slogan happened. So I'm not saying, I'm not co-opting their slogan, but I'm saying I want people to start looking and saying, oh, we're not attacking the men. We're saying, look at the way we are just taking it as normal, that it's, it's normal to see a naked woman. It's normal to see a woman being raped. It's normal to be watching a woman in the bath. It's normal to have a woman being touched. And this is why I've started painting people like Tarana Burke and Patrice Coulors and, and people who are making a difference and standing up and saying, hey, 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 no, that isn't normal. So I'm trying to join them in that and say, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I hear your passion. I hear a lot of emotion for you, Amanda. And I think in, in a lot of ways, that's, I mean, that's just so grounding and motivating for you. Um, if I may, I could imagine, right, that folks who, when they hear women matter, you know, I think they're in their minds are like, yeah, women matter. We know that women matter. So I think that the ability to clarify very explicitly in a neutral way um, could be very effective. And I'll just yes, I we'll play a, right, a little bit of, uh, I, I know that everyone, we're in a moment now where I think people are appreciating the value that all people can bring, right? And again, I'm a big fan of all and, and as opposed to kind mm-hmm. of picking. And then, and I think part of what you are specifically highlighting is just to call out that perhaps, which is not necessarily everyone, but perhaps, and I think sometimes we get like all, we get very black and white and I think that's also a way that pushes people back. So in the past, folks may not have just really been aware that that beautiful piece of art, you know, was a rape scene, which is to say it is what it is, but let's just acknowledge that and that going forward, we'd want to be really mindful of the context of, of the situ- things, the situations that the art is representing and or how the actual images or figures, right, are interacting and, and give credit in, and not in a, you know, there, there is an art form part of it. And then you're bringing up that there's also a real life part of it. And I just want folks to be mindful of both without mm-hmm. making people bad or wrong. And I think the, the slight danger for Lives Matter X, you know, I, and I know so many women and I get this, right? I have been the subject of things that haven't been fair and, and that's the past. We can't change it. And so it's important to learn from it 
and then going forward, say, how do we want to be better? What is it that people may not be aware that we can help them be aware so that we actually are together fulfilling this notion of um, a level playing field and equality? I'll pause there. Is that language resonating at all? Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm entirely in agreement with you. I think um, I I have to learn to dial down the passion to some degree uh, or a major degree, and uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's great awareness on your part. And I, again, nothing. I don't want to make the passion part wrong. And just to um, Tasha's chat with us about the self-awareness, recognizing that that is a strength of yours and at time may present not as a strength, You to be able to say, okay, what is it? How do I need to be to be in service to my cause? Or how yeah. do I need to be to be in service to my cause? And sometimes that is a big exhale, a little meditation, and really owning people don't want to do bad or wrong things. They're really not. People it may they don't want to do bad things or wrong things. They're not trying to be, um, you know, um, bad to women or bad to whoever. It, it, for the most part, they're a small percentage. But most people, it's not. They're not quite recognizing that how other people look at a situation is not how they're looking at a situation, and that is a vast majority of disconnect. So it's just helping people yeah. to appreciate. I understand that. That's not. You might say, well, that's not a big deal. What's the big deal about that? And I appreciate that That you can just say, I acknowledge that you don't see that's a big deal. If I may, let me share why for me this is a big deal, right? And so there's that right. notion of understanding. Think of it almost as educating so that people could, could, and I think that's the really hardest thing, whether it's work or personal life, is it's hard for us to get outside of our experience. You know, I, I, I can go through a gazillion <laughs> examples in my own personal life, you know, where it's like, wow, we just don't see it. The same way, and it, you can sometimes get to the agree to disagree, but if you can get out in the open, you know, I, I can see why you think that, and I can see why if I said something a certain way that it would not land well, and so it at least helps people realize we've got to meet part way, right? It isn't about one group conceding to another group. It's not a win or lose. It's like, how can we create the win-win? Right, Yeah. So you've uh, been fantastic to join me for this. Do you have a particular top takeaway from our little conversation, which I know will continue? <laughs> uh, yeah, just I think I, I, I need to keep checking in with whoever's um, listening to me and uh, be more uh, aware of when I'm the tiger leaping out of the gate, which tends to happen a lot. Um, I'm an introvert, and, and going back to your um, conversation with um, the psychologist, I, I find it funny that in lockdown, I've become more and more aware that I'm an introvert, um, but I'm an introvert tiger, so that when I get out, I just, like, explode, and I have to learn to, uh, to dial that down a lot, but, but it's a fun journey of growth, and... and uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate your perspective. Thank you very much, Molly. Well, I thank you for calling in. I'm always cheering for you. You know how to reach me. And I thank you, Manta, for being part of the solution. Thank you. Okay. Hey, take care. Okay. Bye-bye. So I will close with a uh, scenario that someone reached out to me that really resonated with me. So um, let's call someone they work with is called We'll call them Sean. Sean gave their manager a suggestion. Manager goes to meeting, presents this fabulous this suggestion, although it presents it as if it's the manager's idea. Sean's in the meeting. Sean finds this very upsetting, really feels like uh, their idea was stolen. So you can imagine this in a meeting. Real time, Sean is instant messaging this coworker who happened to be on a call. Um, and the person on the call was attempting to support Sean and typed in something to the effect of, gosh, your idea was super. That's why it was shared. Feel good about having a great idea. Uh, two, wow, you influenced your manager really great. So they thought the idea was their own. Um, so for me, this, this topic actually has, is a big issue for two fronts. One is that potentially credit isn't being attributed where it's due. Um, and worse, that's even worse when it's the boss doing that. And the second thing is that people might literally think that they need to make the boss feel like an idea is theirs before they're going to like it, which I just, I've seen this for 
decades and it drives me insane. So I'll start with the instant message situation, which folks can probably imagine you're doing your multitasking, which we all know is not a great thing to do, but we do it. Um, you want to try to help your coworker in the moment. If you do want to come to the rescue of this coworker, perhaps just put the call on hold. Hey, can I come back in a couple minutes? I'll be right back. I just have, I really want to help a client, a coworker who really needs me at this moment. And so give yourself, you know, permission, model the fact that you can't be doing both things and at least focus on the coworker. So that's just um, one tip. Um, and then let's cover the aspects um, starting with the problem Sean has of not getting attribution with his manager and in, in his experience, her experience, intentionally, the boss is trying to take credit. So in the outside chance right now that you're listening and you happen to be the boss and you're thinking, oh, what's the big deal? We're all one team. And I can imagine that you're not intentionally trying to take your people's ideas, but know that if it does get around and people senses that you're taking other people's ideas, you're in a big trust deficit and it's not easy to recover. If, if a boss truly did this by mistake and they, and they weren't aware, you would really pray that you'd enough create enough trust in your team so they tell you. Otherwise, there's a lot of back-channel talk going on about you that will hurt your reputation. So just a heads up for the bosses out there. Now, for Sean, uh, the, the, understand Sean thinks that this is intentional, you're being you know, taken advantage of. Um, it's probably likely difficult to address in the meeting, I think there is an opportunity for you to, to really, one, understand what's going on for them, um, what, what, do you, what does Sean want to have happen, and then you know, getting in the right uh, headspace, right, to really talk to the boss. So for the Sean person, what's going on for you, right? What do I want to have happen? And get in a, in a, in a good headspace. It may seem so obvious that the idea was stolen. Walking in with that kind of negative, um, combative energy is unlikely to be useful. Exhaling frustration, exhaling hurt, assume positive intention, right? Um, don't assume, you know, don't, it's not a fact that your idea was stolen. So let's just say the boss person's name is Liz. Hey, Liz, appreciate if we can debrief yesterday's meeting. And, and see if the timing works, right? I observed something and I want to clarify with you. It's super. The team seemed to resonate with XYZ uh, idea, whatever the idea was. Pause, get in a conversation, see what Liz says. Um, now, do you recall a conversation when you and I talked about that, when I shared that proposal or that idea? Pause again. So at this point, if, if Liz is complete space, get, oh my gosh, that was your idea and I stole it. There's an opportunity right then and there to like get to understanding. If not, that's an opportunity for Liz to realize, uh, I, I'm getting the fact that this isn't, you know, this is not really positive and you can go back and forth in questions. Now, some questioning curiosity is a great thing here. For people in the meeting, whose idea do you think they thought the proposal is? You ask Liz. Liz, knowing that we talked about this idea and I gave it to you, how do you think I feel when I heard you say that in the meeting? Now, you're not saying this in accusatory, nor are you saying this in a self-pitying way. You're trying to get a neutral sense just to engage with Liz. Again, putting the other person in your shoes and making it personal can be, can be very effective. Liz, if this happened to you, say your boss, Rob, mentioned your idea without mentioning you, you know, would you have more or less trust in Rob? You could also say, I mentioned this to others on our team to gauge if I might be overreacting. How do you think they responded, right? So reinforce, you don't believe this was in malice. You're really compelled to bring this up because if you were in Liz's shoes, you'd, that's what you'd want to have happen. And you want to trust each other. So again, keeping it open, chance for apology, chance for it won't happen again, right? And that's the type of thing that these blips actually make our, um, our relationships much, much stronger. So I just want to encourage that. Uh, now, for a quick thing on making the, the, the bosses, you know, we sit there, we have to make the boss think this was their idea, right? I, I just feel like, yes, if there are some bosses that really need that, I'll give it to you, then you have to do that. For many, they may not realize that that's the dynamic. And so it depends on your relationship with the boss, but it, you could go um, 
and and get some t- uh, feedback from teammates and and, and approach this um, as a two way feedback. You know, we're getting feedback. It's really helping me get better and to my boss here, would it be okay if I give you some feedback because I think it could really help you be better? So you're really in partnership with your boss. The spirit of lightness. Okay, I'm going out on a limb. I want, you know, I really want to help you. And if, again, if I was in your shoes, I'd want someone to say this to me. And it's kind of an inside joke. So it's a little lightness. We actually spend time thinking about how we can get you to think that our ideas are your ideas. And you could be very upfront about it in a light way and just see how the person responds. They may be mortified. They may start laughing and say, you know what, what do you think? And just get it out in the open. Again, we're assuming this is not the dynamic the boss person wants. You're bringing it out in the open and now you have a chance to deal with it. Okay? So I hope that's helpful and I welcome folks' comments on that. I will close with my thought for the week. Lead people, manage work. Lead people, manage work. And I'll expand that as leading from the heart, manage from the mind. So may cool heads craft the path forward and warm hearts inspire people to be on the path together. There's a lot going on. We're better together and we will get through this. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share the show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, More than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 